morning, Mount Carmel Baptist Church members and friends. Thank you for allowing me into your homes today to share a word from the Lord as you celebrate your church anniversary. I am grateful to your pastor for the invitation. It was a privilege to serve with him and Lady Jennifer during his time as the children and youth minister at Six Mount Zion Baptist Church before he was called to pastor. Over the last year, I've been working on a grant and I've spent just about every Monday morning at Mount Carmel Baptist Church with Trustee Emeritus Thelma Fant as I work to digitize your church archives. It has been fascinating to read the minutes from church meetings held with your first pastor, Reverend William Henry White. Just this past week, we read some interesting drama involving your second pastor and Sixth Baptist Church. I've seen pledge cards from the 1920s when it was a lot of money for the adults to commit to 25 cents per week. Bulletins in the 1940s and 50s and 60s that give us insight into how your church has consistently worked to empower her members and the community you've, you've been called to serve. It is a journey through black history when you read announcements encouraging men to pay their poll taxes and you realize it was because women couldn't vote, or notices encouraging people to donate blood to the Red Cross while at the same time calling out their racist policies. I was able to show Deacon Janet Armstead, who's a member of our church now, the bulletin that announced her birth and was impressed at how many times the Reverend Dr. Samuel DeWitt Proctor preached here. The grant period ended in June, but I've continued to come on Mondays and I get a kick out of the chemistry between Deaconess Brenda Carter and Ms. Fant. I've come to appreciate seeing Trustee Edgar Duncan and Deacon Betty Gentry and the finance team who always make sure that I get a pack of crackers and some juice. Over the last few months, Reverend Juanita Armistead has joined us as we scanned photos from church events. And I am grateful for this experience and I can't wait to finish the process so you all will be able to see how God has indeed blessed your church for 134 years. I ask you now that you please join me in prayer. Speak to my heart, Holy Spirit. Give me the words that will bring new life. Words on the wings of the morning, the dark night will fade away if you speak to my heart. Speak to my heart, Holy Spirit, message of love to encourage me, lifting my heart from despair, how you love me and care for me. God, please just speak to my heart. My prayer is that you speak to my heart. You give me your holy word. If I can't hear from you, God, then I'll know what to do. I won't go alone. I'll never go on my own. I'm asking that you let your spirit guide and your word abide. Speak to my heart, Lord, so that I can speak to the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let me start with a confession. I'm not a gardener. I don't have a green thumb. In fact, I don't even like to be given flowers or plants as gifts. And when given a plant, I feel like the person either doesn't really know me or if they do know me, they must not like me because they've given me something else to take care of. But getting ready for this week, somehow I was intrigued by a TikTok video showing a farmer preparing his soil for planting seeds. I found out that many farmers prefer to plow their fields around this time of year because working soil in the late fall allows earlier spring planting and the turning under of large amounts of organic matter is likely to result in better decomposition when done in the fall. 
the horticulturist who wrote this article, I ended up down an internet rabbit hole reading, says insects and perennial weeds may be reduced by killing or inactivating them through burial or exposure to winter weather. I don't even remember what led me down the internet rabbit hole, but when I read how plowing happens before planting so that you would have a greater harvest, the preacher in me got excited because it's late fall. And I believe there are some things God wants to turn over in order for Mount Carmel to plant seeds that will reap a great harvest when the time is right. And while the text I was led to doesn't deal with farmers and seeds, for the time that we share today, I'd like to use as my subject, it's time to plow. The story of King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles is perhaps one of my favorite in the Bible, and I believe that this text is most appropriate for such a time as this. So I encourage you to read his story in 2 Chronicles chapter 17 through 20 when you get a chance. But for today, our focus scripture will be 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12, which in the Amplified Version of the Bible reads, O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless against this great multitude which is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Those words were spoken by King Jehoshaphat, who was the leader of Judah at the time. And if you go back and read his story, which I hope you do, you will see that in chapter 17, he is described as being very rich and much honored. He saw and followed the God of his ancestors, and he didn't mess around with the pagan religions. He set up a defense system and sent his military men around the region. He was single-minded in his following of the Lord and the Lord's laws. God secured Judah under his rule, and surrounding kingdoms knew it. The Bible says they had such a fear of God that they didn't even try to go against Jehoshaphat. At least that's what it said in chapter 17. But something happened because chapter 20 begins after Jehoshaphat had solidified his throne by fortifying the nation and appointing regional judges. The Moabites, Ammonites, and Samiunites decided to attack him. Jehoshaphat received this intelligent report saying, a huge army is quickly approaching Jerusalem. They told him, they're about two days from you. One minute, there was peace all around him. The next moment, Jehoshaphat is dealing with not one, not two, but three different enemies headed his way. And the Bible lets us know that the king got scared. As I was praying about what to share with you this morning, I felt led here because as we are coming up on the end of 2021, the members of Mount Carmel might feel like, the pastor and people of Mount Carmel might feel like Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. You're used to the saying, it's been one thing after another, which is hard but manageable. However, for almost two years, you've been bombarded with several things you've had to deal with at the same time whether it's physically, mentally, or spiritually, we've been worn down. We've been sick, tired, and as Fannie Lou Hamer said, we are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Back in January 2020, we heard some grumblings about a disease that was killing people in other countries, but our elected officials at the time didn't seem to be too pressed about it impacting America. Then by March, we were in a full-on global pandemic in schools, churches, restaurants, gyms, movie theaters, malls, and many stores were forced to close their doors for public gatherings. 
We became familiar with the term social distancing and virtual learning. Employees had to transition to teleworking and we've become accustomed to Zoom and Microsoft Teams and FaceTime meetings. Extroverts have struggled with not being able to be around their friends. People who have the love languages of quality time and physical touch are having a difficult time. We all miss a sense of normalcy, and for some of us, our physical, mental, and spiritual health has suffered. This has been a lot. And if that wasn't bad enough, at the start of the pandemic, our nation's leaders were spreading misinformation about what we should or shouldn't do to stop the spread of this disease. We've learned that many people didn't know how to properly wash their hands, and some apparently didn't wash their hands at all. Somehow, whether or not we wear a mask has become a political statement. This has been a lot with millions of Americans who lost their jobs, which led to soaring unemployment numbers. And now we hear of a worker shortage because some have decided that they're not willing to go back to business as usual, working for companies who care more about their profit than their people. Many parents were happy that schools reopened this year for in-person learning, but my nephew, my godson, and my goddaughter, none of which go to the same school, all have had to spend 10 days out of class because of contact with someone who tested positive, and it's only October. For parents, this has been especially stressful. And if that wasn't enough, as of October 19th, our country has had over 45 million confirmed coronavirus cases, and the death toll has increased to over 728,000. At Six Mile Zion, we've had members who've dealt with the COVID-19. Some have survived, some have died. Grief has been hard this season because we've not had the opportunity to celebrate lives like normal. And some, some of this grief is not just about people dying. We've been going through a range of emotions about having important events canceled or held in such a way that was not ideal, like virtual graduations or anniversaries, weddings, funerals, or baby showers. Like the people of Judah, we've had to deal with a lot. Remember last May when two cell phone videos went viral? One was of Chris Cooper, the African-American bird watcher in Central Park. He asked a white woman to put away, to put her dog on a leash to follow the park's rule. Instead, she got upset, called the police on him, and saying that she was being threatened by an African-American man. The second video introduced us to George Floyd, an unarmed African-American who had the police called on him because a store clerk believed he tried to pass a $20 counterfeit bill to buy cigarettes. This resulted in a confrontation that ended with police with Mr. Floyd laying face down on the street, gasping for air, begging for his life, calling out for his deceased mother as a full-grown adult police officer kept his knee pressed down on his neck for over nine minutes. Seeing George Floyd was a lot, but then we started to hear about deaths that had occurred months earlier, but hadn't made the national news. Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, Elijah McLean, all in different states, different stories, but the same results. Tensions began to boil over because they were a reminder of those others who had died under similar circumstances. A Tatiana Jefferson, Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, Freddie Gray, and so many more. George Floyd's death set off a chain reaction of protests around the country. In Richmond, it became a cry to tear down Confederate monuments. And if that wasn't enough, 2020 was a presidential election year. 
the constant barrage of campaign ads was a lot. And even this year, in 2021, as we prepare in Virginia to elect our next governor, I want to just tune it all out, but I know I can't because there's so much on the line. And if that wasn't enough for Mount Carmel, you had not long before installed your pastor, right? As he was getting to know you and you were getting to know him, the world shut down. And he has had to use every tool in the toolbox to creatively connect with the congregation. Many of you are grieving corporate worship because there is something about the assembling of the saints. And just as the rules about the pandemic seem to be loosening and talks about reopening were being had, they were halted because you had issues in the building. Six Mile Zion is going through the same thing. So here we are celebrating your church anniversary together but apart. This is a lot. And when you look at all that's going on right now, you might pray like King Jehoshaphat did, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. In 2 Chronicles 20, I believe God gives us some steps we can take in times like these when you don't know what to do. And in a word, God wants you to plow. For today, PLOW is an acronym for Pray, Listen, Obey, and Worship. I'm going to go through each step briefly and get out of your way. The first thing you need to do when you don't know what to do is pray. When Jehoshaphat heard that the enemies were already on their way, he was afraid. And that's a natural response. Finding out that a large army is coming to attack you would invoke fear in most people. And if you're like me, watching the news, reading the newspaper, or looking on social media can be scary. Facing uncertainty can be frightening. Knowing there are multiple obstacles ahead of you can cause alarm. That's natural. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It doesn't mean that you don't have faith. Being afraid doesn't mean that you're weak. It means that you're human and that we're living in a moment where things are like they've never been before. But I encourage you not to let fear paralyze you. Instead, lean on your faith and pray. That's what this king did. He appealed to the Almighty, but notice that he didn't do it alone. When you read the text, he ordered a nationwide fast, and the text says that the country of Judah united in seeking God's help. They came from all the cities to join their leader in prayer. We believe that there is power in individual prayer because of what Christ did on Calvary. Every Christian can approach the throne of grace, but something happens when we collectively and communally pray. When our brothers and sisters join us to go to God on our behalf during this season, you need to understand that you weren't meant to approach these enemies alone. Your pastor knows this. That's why he has called Mount Carmel to join him for prayer on a regular basis. Because with all we're dealing with, it's too much to handle on our own. So call on your family, your friends, your church members to pray with you. The text says Jehoshaphat stood before the country and he begins to pray. When you read the prayer, you see that the king prayed in faith. And that's important because Hebrews 11:6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that God is and that God is a rewarder of those who seek God. Jehoshaphat believed that God was and that God would reward him and his country for diligently seeking God. Jehoshaphat's prayer recalled God's past actions. He reminded God and those in Judah what God had done for them. And when you face a battle, my brothers and sisters, pray 
believing that the same God who came through the last time is the same God who will come through this time because our God is still on the throne. Jehoshaphat's prayer reminded God of their relationship and of God's promise to God's people. This prayer included a promise God made earlier to Solomon after he finished building the temple. And you're probably familiar with these words from 2 Chronicles 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. So in chapter 20, Jehoshaphat is standing in that place. He's calling on God to be true to God's word. He's asking God to hear from heaven that God would forgive their sin, that God would heal their land. And you too can read through God's word so that you can stand on the promises of God. Jehoshaphat's prayer was humble. Remember, he was the king. But there he stood, publicly acknowledging that Judah did not have power to go against the enemies heading their way. He admitted his inability to handle things on his own, ending the prayer with, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. After the prayer, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, a man in the crowd. Before this time, he wasn't known as a prophet. Prior to this, he was a Levitical singer, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he stood up and began to speak. And what he says can help us understand what we too should do when we don't know what to do. So in this season, after you pray, you should listen. When I teach about prayer, I remind people that it is not a monologue, but a dialogue. Prayer is a conversation with our Creator. And in a dialogue, at least two people speak and both should listen. But too often we tell God about our wants or our needs, we say amen, we get up and go about our day, not considering that God may have wanted to answer some of our requests right then and there. Jehoshaphat ended his prayer, but he didn't disperse the crowd. The Bible says all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Jehaziel starts to speak, telling the king what the enemy is up to, including their current location and their plan moves. When you pray and listen, God may share insights on your opposition. I'm so glad that we serve a God who will forewarn us about enemies heading our way. 1 Peter 5.8 reminds us to be sober and vigilant because our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And as you try to get through the rest of 2021, keep your ear to heaven so you can hear what the Spirit of God is saying. God may send warnings through people you're in relationship, through a song you hear, through a sermon from your pastor, through a scripture that you read. God will use whatever method is necessary to let you know how the enemy is going to come against you. During this season, it's time to pray. And when you finish praying, listen, and then you need to obey. Jehaziel says, don't be afraid or discouraged. Yes, I know it's scary, but when you have God on your side, you have no reason to fear. Why? Because our God is the King of glory. We serve the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord God who is mighty in battle. He is the King of glory. Upon the Holy Spirit revealing that the enemy was coming, the prophet Jehaziel told the king and the country that they couldn't stay in their comfort zone. God was calling them to march out to battle. Someone who's listening today, God may be calling you to march out to confront your opposition, 
But don't be afraid or discouraged because the word of the Lord is you won't have to fight the battle. Now, God didn't say we wouldn't have to fight any battle, but just not this one. So then Jehaziel says, take up your positions. The people of Ju Judah had to be ready for war. Then he says, stand firm. Some translations say, stand still and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. God was telling them to be ready to fight, but that they wouldn't have to fight. Because when they got there, all they had to do was stand still and see how God was going to give them the victory. We have to walk in faith and discernment because we have to be ready to fight, but by faith believe that God will fight for us. So don't be afraid or discouraged. And I know you just heard that, but I'm saying it again because in the text, Jehaziel said it twice. And I think it's important to note that even though Jehoshaphat started to pray, it didn't mean that fear had loosened its grip. And so it may be with us. Sometimes even when we take our burdens to the Lord, we might still be a little scared. But God's word for you today is don't be afraid or discouraged. How can I say that? Because I believe like Brenda Waters used to sing, I don't know how God's going to do it. I don't know when God's going to fix it. I only know God's going to make a way. I know God's going to do it so I can declare victory. Jehaziel tells them, go face your enemies and God will be with you. The prophet told them that they won't have to fight. Their instructions were to stand still, but that didn't mean that they could stay in the same spot. His instructions required them to go confront their enemies. They wouldn't have to fight the battle. God would give them the victory, but they did have to face the enemy. This reminds me of a meme I saw that says, you can't conquer what you're not willing to confront. God is requiring us to confront some things in order to conquer them. In this season, it's time to plow, pray, listen, obey, and the last thing this story encourages us to do is worship. When we don't know what to do, we must plow, pray, listen, obey, and worship. Four times in the chapter, when you read it, you'll see Jehoshaphat and Judah praising and worshiping God. In verse 18, after God responded to the prayer with a prophecy, it says, Jehoshaphat knelt down, bowing with his face to the ground. All Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping God. They praised God at the top of their lungs. Then in verse 21, before they even saw how God was going to work it out, we read that Jehoshaphat appointed a choir dressed in holy robes. They were to march ahead of the troops singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And I know that it may not make sense to you because all hell is breaking loose around us. We're dealing with the coronavirus and racial injustice and environmental concerns and threat of another government shutdown, climate change, economic uncertainty, the upcoming election, the desire to return to in-person worship. And many of us have personal problems that we're trying to deal with on our own. I understand that praise and worship doesn't seem like the right answer, but we see in the text that God can use our praise as a weapon and our worship as warfare. And sometimes when we praise God in advance, God will do some things that we don't even know God is doing because if you keep reading, you'll see that once the choir started singing praises to God, they didn't know that God had set up ambushes against their enemy and they ended up defeated. It says in the text that the Ammonites and the Moabites mistakenly attacked those from Mount Seir and massacred them. Then they went at each other. So by the time Judah got there, looking over the mountain, there was not a living soul among them. 
And the text says that it took Jehoshaphat and his people three days to gather up the spoils of war. And after they saw God do what they couldn't have done on their own, verse 26 says, on the fourth day, they came together at the Valley of Blessing and blessed the Lord. And this reminds me of one of my favorite worship leaders, Benita Jones, who says, every time God blesses me, I will praise God right where God blesses me. Every time God comes through, I'll thank God right where God came through. And every time God delivers me, I'll give God glory right where God delivered me. That's what they did, y'all. They didn't wait for the battle to be over. They shouted right then and there. When they saw that they didn't have to fight, when they saw the deliverance of the Lord, they praised God again and then again. In verse 27, we see them praising some more when God allowed them to return home victoriously. The message translation says, Jehoshaphat led all the men back with an exuberant parade because God had given them relief from their enemies. So they entered Jerusalem and came to God's temple with all the instruments of the band playing. They had a praise and worship party. And I know you're ready to come back to the building, but you don't have to wait to get back to East Broad Street Wherever you are this morning, I encourage you to praise God because soon enough you will be back together. You don't have to wait to praise. You can do it now because your praise can turn some things around. Your praise can speed up some things that God needs to do here at Mount Carmel because even now God is still good. Even now God is still worthy. Just think about all that God has done before and trust that God can do it again. Think about how God has brought you out. Think about the goodness of Jesus and all that God has done for you. All that God has done for Mount Carmel since the beginning of time. So many doors God has opened, so many ways God has made, so many times God has healed, so many times God has delivered. God has been better than good to you. God has been better than good to your church. Now, when you're looking to praise, if you don't know what to say or sing, you can read through the Psalms. I think Psalm 27 was appropriate for King Jehoshaphat, and I think it's appropriate for us today. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me. In this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, God shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of God's tabernacle, he shall hide me. God shall set me upon a rock and shall, shall my head be lifted above all my enemies around me. Therefore, Will I offer in God's tabernacle sacrifices of joy? I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. So Mount Carmel, in this season, hear the word of the Lord. It's time to plow. Pray, listen, obey, and worship. This is what you do when you don't know what to do. Happy anniversary, Mount Carmel. God bless you.